0: to EHS on Tap. I'm your host Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Tim Fisher, Director of Standards Development and Technical Services at the American Society of Safety Professionals, and Lauren Bowerschmidt, Manager of Standards Development at the ASSP, about their recently published Workplace Safety Standards. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Tim Fisher, Director of Standards Development and Technical Services, and Lauren Bowerschmidt, Manager of Standards Development with the American Society of Safety Professionals. Um, We're going to talk about the ASSP's new Workplace Safety standards. So welcome, Tim and Lauren.
1: Thank you. We're appreciating
0: having us us on. Um, I guess let's get things started by, um, why don't you guys tell me a little bit about yourselves and the ASSP. Um, Tim, why don't you start us off?
1: Well, I've been with the ASSP staff about 27 years. I've been in safety for, for almost 40 years. And basically at ASSP, I have the honor and privilege of working on the team that deals with standards development and technical services. I've also done a lot of regulatory work and uh, I'm proud to be part of that team. At ASSP, we do about 120 standards and technical uh, registered reports with ANSI each year. And uh, I believe that ASSP has done an awful lot in occupational safety and health and leading into uh, new areas to address hazards and exposures through our standards development. So glad to be here today and glad to talk about standards and tech services. Great, Lauren.
2: And I am Lauren Bowerschmidt, and I just passed five years with the American Society of Safety Professionals. And I worked in the pharmaceutical industry before I came to ASSP. I have a master's degree in safety, with specifically um, a focus in ergonomics. So, I have lots of experience in that, and um, enjoy working on these standards to really help a broad range of people uh, keep their employees safe.
0: Excellent. Well, I was wondering if you guys could tell me a little bit about how the ASSP develops uh, their standards and how they compare with existing
1: federal and state regulations. Do you want to start off, uh, uh, Lauren, or do you want me to start off? What's your preference?
2: I can start, not a problem. Okay. So when people ask me, what in the world do you do? <laughs> um, just saying standard, sometimes uh, I get a glazed look. So I often start with, well, you've heard of OSHA. Occupational Safety and Health Administration. We know that they have governmental rules that um, people need to follow. That's part of the law. Um, but a lot of those standards have not been updated in a very long time. Technology has changed, things have changed. And so our standards fill that gap. Um, it basically takes your safety program up a notch to comply with these consensus standards. So um, maybe a good example would be um, hazardous energy. There's uh, a lot you can do more than just putting a lock on a device to make sure that someone doesn't get hurt from hazardous energy while maybe you're getting a piece of equipment that got stuck in the equipment or maybe you're doing some sort of um, maintenance. So a lot has changed over the years. And so our standard looks at um, a slew of events like, OK, how, how can I keep my people safe? Is the lock one way or you know, light curtains and different things like that a different way? So we basically take those take those standards up a notch. Um, to improve people's standards, um, improve safety more than just the basics. Tim, you want to add on?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you, that's a good answer, Lauren. So I think what's important for the people that are listening to this recording is when we talk about the whole issue of standards. So you have government, which Lauren noted is is the absolute, you have to follow it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to go more than that. And I think it's important also when we look into this, you ask me, um, who you know, who writes these standards? So these standards are basically written by occupational safety and health, OSH professionals. And stakeholders. So these are written by OSPROs that are actually dealing with a lot of these hazards and exposures. And I think that they go to the next level. And so when we talk about government regulation, as Lawrence said, that's compliance. That's where you have to start. And I know we'll probably get a little bit on this, but really, I see standards used three ways. My experience in the public sector one would be a citation by reference and that is a government agency and remember it's not just OSHA so it could be the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Department of Energy all kinds of different agencies including state and they're going to say hey you will follow standard x and and that's citation by reference that's one example another one is the the, uh, proverbial 5a1 the general duty clause proceeding in our American national standards or consensus standards used in general duty clause proceedings Yes, yes, they are. I, I, I've seen that many, many times. And that is something you'll see that also. And then the third area, and I'm talking specifically here about, about government recognition, is would be a settlement proceeding. So let's say Tim Fisher and Lauren Bowersmith Incorporated. We unfortunately have a fall from heights from one of our employees. And then during the settlement proceedings, we agree that we're going to implement a managed fall protection system. Mm-hmm. And what are you gonna use for that? You're gonna probably go to one of our consensus standards. You're gonna look at our ANSI ASSP Z359.2 standard, Or if it's construction, maybe you look at our ANSI ASSP A10.32 standards. So I'm getting windy on that, I know, but those (laughs) are three important things. And I think that they draw a really good difference between government regulation and consensus standards. Back to you, Jay. All right. Um, So you guys recently published new and revised
0: workplace safety standards. Uh, I was wondering if you could kind of go through them a little bit for me. one of the first ones a new one is on um psychological health and safety at work uh, guidelines for managing psychosocial risks i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know what went into that and the reasoning behind it
1: you know that's a good standard and i'm happy to talk about it and give you some thoughts and the reason is we did a webinar on this at assp probably about two two and a half weeks ago and it's drawn a thousand uh, attendees. So, I mean, think about that. Doesn't that doesn't, And who's going to listen to it afterwards as well? So after it's posted, there's a lot of interest. So this is a standard which was developed by the Inter- International Organization for Standardization. ASSP, we are the TAG administrator, the Technical Advisory Group administrator. And that means that basically we advise the American National Standards Institute on ISO global standards, what the position of the United States is as far as ANSI goes, and what our comments are. This standard you're looking at was approved by basically 73 different countries. Right. And then what happened afterwards is we moved to adopt this as a American national standard. And so basically it's a global standard, but also has the American national standard consensus standard uh, bent to it. It's the same standard content wise that you're going to see at the global level, but it does have some changes to it as far as, uh, you know, the U.S. committees are, pro- you know, the caveats we have to include. But why is it important? And that is this standard really gives, I think, a framework. And it gives somewhat of a, of a of way to address the whole issue of psychosocial issues. And it's, it doesn't say, you know, you will do this. What it does is it gives a framework to address it. And the U.S. is interesting because, you know, there was a lot of interest in the U.S. as far as the standard go. Uh, do we want it? Is, it? is it reasonable? But I would say one thing. The rest of the world voted for this thing overwhelmingly. And you're going to see this done more and more. And it's, it's pretty incredible. I, I myself was somewhat... Um wasn't sure how much interest there would be. And then like I said, two and a half weeks ago, a thousand uh ASSP stakeholders, Ashpros and, and, and stakeholder groups signed in to listen for it. So obviously there's a lot of interest.
0: Um and were you seeing increased interest sort of in the wake of the pandemic and just sort of you know it's, it seems like it's certainly been a hot topic, you know, from my standpoint, you know, um, you know, as as an editor of a publication, just sort of, you know, writing about issues. Uh, I've been hearing a lot about psychological health uh, and, you know, definitely a need for uh, companies to be more, uh, I guess, understanding about
1: it. Um, Have you sort of seen that increase over the last year and a half? You know, it's interesting. uh, And I'm going to ask Lauren for her comment, too, because she deals with this quite a bit through our our other uh, standards. Um, Do I think that maybe the whole issue with COVID uh, moved it further in the U.S.? Yes but this was an expanding issue regardless of COVID. I mean, worldwide, this has been a significant issue when 45,003 was proposed and the drafts were written and the work begun long before COVID. So do I think it potentially helped drive it? Yes. As far as the U S perspective, but I think there was a lot of interest anyway, Lauren, I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you and I were at a meeting, what, three or four years ago when they were discussing the standard and working on the the details of it long before the pandemic came along. But I think you're right, Jay, that um, people are talking about um, psychological um, issues in the workplace and all that we have been through in the last year and a half. Um, You know, now that we all are kind of feeling that effect, whether we maybe admitted it before or not, um, we're all feeling it at some levels. I think we're hearing a lot more of it um, in the news in different places. So um, I think that's why we're hearing more about it. It's been an issue, like Tim said, before that, um, but it's getting more press now.
0: What are some of the basic sort of um, points that are covered in the standard?
1: Yeah, I would say this. One, it establishes a framework. And so what it does is it basically, and it, I would say one thing the standard is meant to work within the ISO 45001 standard, which is the other standard for global occupational health and safety management system. So it, it is meant to operate within that parameter. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about planning, we're talking about communication. Um, inclusion of, of, of workers throughout the organization, management buy-in, and then creating the, the structure for it. So, you know, for example, the standard does not go into, you know, you will do uh, X as far as this number of employees. It, it doesn't deal with it. It deals with it as, as more of a general framework and a general approach. Um, now, it is, a, it is a fairly detailed document, and it does offer a lot from that perspective, but, it, you know, I you, I would say people should look at it. I mean, you can go on the ASSP website or listen to our podcast and get all the information on the nuts and bolts. But I think the important thing for, from this perspective is it's meant to operate within the existing 45,001 standard and be part of a management system. Um, have, have you
0: seen, I guess, uh, you know, company business leadership kind of becoming more open to this issue as well? I mean, obviously, you know, we know it's been an issue for a while, but. Uh, It seems like, you know, there's definitely kind of more of a willingness to to work with employees who are dealing with these kinds of issues now.
1: Uh, From my perspective, and I'm going to ask Lauren for her comments on this also, because she's worked on this issue as well. And it is, I would say, yes, absolutely. So... When we originally wrote the standard, I mean, there was a lot of organizations in the U.S., and I'm using the term organizations, not just companies. Sure. Organizations that said, hey, this is going to be something that is very tough to standardize because it was said to be, you know, it's a science and an art and, you know, it deals with levels of expertise that maybe the OS professional may not have. And so I would say there was probably some skepticism. I think a lot of that over the course of, of, the, of the last, I would say, four to five years has somewhat went away. And I do think organizations are interested in working on these issues. And I also think a lot of the perspective of of global outside the United States has had a lot of impact on this. Like I said, the rest of the world was, they they did not, I think, see it the same way that perhaps we did here in the U.S. And I'm not trying to criticize the United States. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying there was a way to look at it. And so I do think that there's been a different way or a different consideration of where it was, I would argue, even four to five years ago. And um, I know Lauren has worked with this also with some of our other uh, issues as well. And I don't know if she would agree with me, but I'd be curious to see what she has to say as well on this.
2: You know, while you're talking, Tim, um, the phrase that came into my mind was fit for duty. And we've used that in multiple different areas. But I think we used to think fit for duty was, you know, are you able to, let's say, work the fork truck? You know, are you too sleepy because you worked a second job somewhere else? Well, Fit for Duty can be in the same area where if you are having mental stress and you're having um, issues at home or different areas of your life, you can't just leave that at the door. It comes with you. So I think that organizations and, um, you know, that C-suite are more concerned about that. Absolutely. Because you need your workers to be all, you know, and and, you know, mentally, physically prepared to do that job. And if they're not, there is absolutely a risk of an injury, and um, nobody wants that. So I do agree that it's getting um, more you know people at the higher levels are paying attention to it.
0: Um, great. Uh, a couple of the other uh, new standards uh, sort of relate to uh, fall safety. Um, one about uh, descent controllers and one about safety requirements for rope access systems. I was wondering if you guys could talk a little bit about, you know, what what went into sort of uh, putting those standards together.
2: Yeah, well, Tim knows that uh, those took quite some time to to get together, but uh, I'm happy we finally got them across the finish line. And, you know, a lot of times when we think about fall protection and fall arrest, we are thinking about making sure that a worker does not go over that edge, right? Mm -hmm. So there's either some sort of um, barrier that's keeping you from falling over the edge or you're wearing a harness lanyard, you've got your anchor to it, um, but you're still working on that flat surface. But the descent controllers and the rope axis is different. You are actually intending to be in this harness hanging over the side of something. You might imagine window washers. Right. You might imagine folks that are working on the underside of bridges. They actually mean <laughs> they're intending to be hanging from this rope. It's very different. Um, And so that's where these two new standards really come into place, where now that I am hanging off the side, how am I safe? How am I able to move? Um, You know, I'm not just going to be welding, let's say, in one space. I'm going to have to move these different areas. How do I do that safely? How do I get myself around? So the 459.1 rope access is that overarching. How do I do that to be safe? The qualifications for testing, how all the different um, pieces of the system are marked inspection of all these different pieces um, and really understanding a simple versus a complex system. And then the descending controllers is a part of that. So as you're going up and down that rope, it's that piece of equipment that's helping to make sure that you can both move and then also be locked in so that you're safe. So these two standards are really great to have out in the field because we know that there are a lot of workers who are doing that um, and we want to make sure that they have the latest and greatest uh, information so that they are safe when they're doing these uh, jobs.
1: You know, I did want to make a comment on it because Lauren did a great job. So the committee has worked on these standards for for many years. And then Lauren um, has been leading the committee from, from, the, from the ASSP staff side. We also have leadership and all that. But I think the point I wanted to make is that especially the rope access standard, don't get me wrong, uh, the other standard descent controllers, was was requested, was needed. We've had a lot of interest in that. But rope access has been such an important standard. It's really getting into new areas. Of when we talk about fall protection or perhaps the right term is fall arrest in the situation, I'm sure we could debate that all day on this podcast or this discussion. But my point on it is, is that we're trying to get into new areas that perhaps there's not been enough guidance on in the past. And so I think when you look at this, you're gonna see these standards uh, use more in the private sector. So Z359 overall is such a well-known, recognized brand as far as our, our standards go, but fall, you know, when we talk about some of the things with fall protection, rope access, this is going to be important and we think it's going to be big down the road. So um, that's one thing I would say for for the people listening to the podcast, is it's something that you definitely want to pay attention to, especially if you're working with hazards and exposures that deal with rope access.
0: And so was it kind of something that, you know, wasn't specifically addressed in other standards that you wanted to really kind of flesh out?
2: Correct. It's very different, like I said, from the other standards where you're not intentionally working while being, you know, (laughs) in a rope system. So um, and like many jobs, you know, sometimes you just you just go do it. Right. I mean, we're not waiting around for a standard, um, but many of our standard um, folks who are on the committee. Um, identified this as, whoa, there's things going on here, and we need to make sure there's standards out there so that we can keep people safe and have kind of a common understanding of the correct way to do this. Now, you asked early on, and we didn't quite hit on this, you know, about our standards and the standard process. Consensus, as we all know, does not mean that everybody gets what they want. But it means that the majority does. So the majority of the committee felt like these new requirements is what is needed to keep people safe. Um, And, again, take it above whatever um, OSHA or the minimum federal
0: requirements are. Um, And I noticed that in the revised standards that you recently published, there's a couple of related ones. There's one for uh, safety requirements for full body harnesses and uh, safety requirements for self-retracting devices for personal fall arrest and rescue systems. So were those kind of updated while you were kind of working on, on these new ones?
2: Yeah, so the way that ANSI works, the American National Standards
0: Institute,
2: to have an ANSI standard, you have to either revise, make changes, make updates, or reaffirm, you've done a formal review and said, yep, it still looks good. You have to do that every five to 10 years And if that is not completed at that 10 year deadline, then ANSI automatically withdraws the standard. And it's an effort to really keep all the standards current and up to date. Um, We know that federal standards take a long time to be written, uh, even longer to be updated. And so to combat that ANSI has these guidelines of that five to 10 years. So it just kind of worked out that the 359.11 for the body harness, 359.14 for self retracting devices, or kind of do if you will and so you know they all kind of came together at the same time um, and specifically for the point 14 self retracting devices if you've ever um, if you're not familiar with this if you've ever gone to like a rock climbing uh, facility yeah, sure, sure. it's that device that basically belays you in mm-hmm. um, so it is something that can be used um, in fall protection but now that it's they're becoming more and more Know, popular is the right word, but they're being used more and more, Right. Um, they found that, oh gosh, they're using these in ways that we didn't initially intend or expect. And that also pushed for that um, revision of the point 14 to reclassify, look at some of the specifics to make sure that again, whoop, okay, let's, let's take the safety up a notch. Let's make sure we're keeping everybody safe with this particular device. As you can imagine, Um, I got to do a lot of calculations with fall protection. Um, If I'm going to fall arrest, if I got to think about what is the height of the structure I'm standing on, I better have a lanyard that's shorter than that or else I'm in trouble. Well, the self-retracting device kind of does some of that math for you, right? So that it it locks. So it's it's, it's tempting to use those more frequently. But again, there are other aspects that you have to be aware of when you use those. And so that was a big piece of revising the 0.14 standard.
0: Gotcha. Um, another uh, revised standard was, uh, let's see, uh, it's like 10.38 basic elements of an employer's program to pro- provide a safe and healthful work environment. Um, what what uh, goes into that one?
1: That's what, you know, that is, um, so when we talk about A10, there's really a series of standards that all kind of work with each other. You have A1033, and it deals with multi-employer work sites, you have A1038 which is which is this one the general principles and then you have the A1039 standard which is the auditing standard on top of that we also have an A102 standard which came out that long ago that deals with pre-planning my point is, is that all four are meant to work together and to use I guess for want of a better term is a system now these are not, this is not a system standard I'm not I'm not saying it's like a, a Z10 or a 45001 but that's the intent is that all four standards would work together so you're going to plan then you're gonna deal if you have any multi employer work, you know, multi employer workers, and then you wanna deal with your general principles. So you asked me on that. So this standard really is not an, an extensive standard from the from the, the issue of page count, for example. But what it does is it gives generally really a general structure, a framework, and and it's it's similar from a lot of uh, good safety, I would say, for one of a better term, management standards. But this one deals specifically with construction demolition operations. So it basically gives a framework for how you're going to work with your with some of your your workers, uh, some of the different contractors, and it it works all together. It's it's meant to operate cohesively, and that's what it does. And then once again. What I would tell people, and it's it's not that my goal is to say, hey, go to the ASSP website, but I, I guess in this case I am because <laughs> if you go to the ASSP website, we have the table of contents listed and how the standard is used and all that good stuff. And you know that'd be another thing. You know, I mean, we could talk on the whole issue of you know management systems and construction and demolition safety uh, management for hours. Sure. So I say when we think about 81038, think about a good um solid approach to overall general concepts for safety management on construction sites meant to operate cohesively with all the other ones. And I don't know if I answered your question, Jay, or if I was speaking around it.
0: No, I think you got it. Um and a- another uh revised one was A ten uh forty seven, which is work zone safety for roadway construction. Um looks like min- minimum requirements for workers uh doing construction and working on roads. Um what what sort of uh needed to be updated in that one?
1: You know I would say if we're looking at it on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the standard was completely changed, I would say this was probably more about a 4. So I'm not saying it was this tremendous, giant overhaul of the standard, but a lot of the references were updated. Uh, There was some corrections made as far as obviously for language. Um, We did do some of the areas that dealt with some of the warning type things, uh, planning, because we absolutely wanted to include the A102 standard, because when this standard originally came out, the planning standard wasn't done yet. Um, we also wanted to have some more synergy between this standard and A-1034, and that is for protection of the public. Um, so that is one of the, the few standards that ASSP generates or writes that deals with protection of the public A-1034. But we thought when you look at what we're dealing here with work zone safety, we wanted to include some of those concepts as well. Um, so I wouldn't say this was a, a giant overhaul, but there was some fairly you know, significant changes. So I would rate it probably about a four to five. And uh, I think that if you deal uh, with these issues, so if you work for utilities or if you work for, uh, you know, in public sector, this is a standard that I have seen referenced and used uh, many times in contracts and work agreements. And by that, I mean, I've seen it probably cited or recognized uh, at least 50 times in the last three years. So uh, fairly commonly used.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And
0: there is one other revised standard that which is um, Z590.3. Um, Prevention through Design Guidelines for Addressing Occupational Hazards and Risks in Design and Redesign Processes. Um, What was uh, done to that standard?
2: I actually just have to say a sideline, Jay, you're doing a great job reading all these numbers and letters. (laughs) It's like alphabet soup, and I uh, appreciate that you're you're doing a great job. and if it helps your listeners, the whole alphabet soup, ANSI means that we've gone through ANSI's requirements. ASST is us, the standards development organization that managed it. And you got the standard number and then the year that it was actually approved. Right. So this is one of my favorites. Um, preventing through design is one of those things you're like, oh, of course. If we had thought about the end before we built something, I bet we could make it safer. I bet we could make it more ergonomically safe. Um, So this standard actually started as a technical report many, many years ago and then became a standard in 2011, was reaffirmed. And then in the midst of all that, so Tim earlier mentioned the 45,003, we also represent the U.S. um, voice for the risk management standards, which is part of TC 262 and the ISO 31000 family of standards. And uh, that came out after the the first revision or the first uh, round of the prevention through design. And so all of that is about risk, right? How do you evaluate your risk? What risks are there? How do you analyze it? How do you evaluate it? And that's all really a part of prevention through design. You're gonna look at those different risks and determine, okay, this area I think is all right. The risk is low enough, but this area, if we build it this way, we're gonna run into some trouble. And how could we lower that risk so that we don't have any issues. And so that was the big change with this prevention through design revision. They really incorporated a lot of the risk management, risk assessment pieces as a part of the prevention through design process. So um, it's really a a good marriage of multiple standards that are out in the field. So if you are working with 31,000, you're doing a lot of risk management, this will fit right in. Um, instead of evaluating risk that's already in your manufacturing site, on your construction site, in your organization, you know if you're about to do something new um, or management of change, maybe you already have something, but you know you're going to make a big change. How can we foresee any potential problems and try to uh, avoid them? So that was a pretty big change.
1: Yeah, I did want to say on this one, I did have a comment. So once again, this is a, a committee that Lauren led. It's actually, I, I guess, committee probably isn't the correct term. Um, but uh, the, the way this project was done. But the one thing I would say that, or actually two things which is really interesting is the, the growth of prevention through design and how we're seeing it more in business and industry. So the government has been very involved in prevention through design. They give out an award and, and things like that. And the other one, I don't want to name specific companies, but um, we were really surprised. So today actually, we actually saw a huge American corporation that is hiring a global safety director and prevention through design is one of their main responsibilities. Huh. And you know, so that's what we're, we're really, really pleased to see that. And uh, so I think we're going to see more of that. The whole issue with, with using technology and risk assessment and the whole issue of hazard versus exposure and, and everything that goes into that. Lauren's leading that initiative on the, on the staff side for ASSP, And you're going to see more of that as time goes on. So I think that's good news. Very cool. You know,
2: what I think is interesting about that, too, if I if I may, Jay, mm-hmm. we talk about the different levels of safety programs. So we started this conversation talking about the, the federal guidelines are that minimum bar, and then our standards. And then you have things like prevention through design. You have um, this worker wellness and um, the different aspects of psychosocial. You know, you're kind of going up with a whole different hierarchy. And so it's great to see this big American company you know, they're not just like, okay, how many injuries and illnesses did we have that we have to report to OSHA? They are taking it to a totally different level of how can we prevent it in the first place? And that is just so exciting for us as safety professionals.
0: Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about another thing, uh, wasn't a standard, but you, uh, the ASSP, uh, sort of released a policy statement, um, about a month ago about heat stress, um, and I know that the you know OSHA is sort of working on a you know coming up with a workplace heat standard. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on sort of you know the issue of heat stress. It certainly has come up a lot this year um, in in my our coverage of uh, you know workplace safety. Wanted to get your thoughts on sort of heat stress and sort of what can be done about it.
1: Yeah, you know, so it's interesting that is we are working on a on a standard as you as you talk about it under a 10 uh, which is the a 10.50 standard or 51 I can't remember the exact number I think it's a 10.50 and that deals with heat stress and construction and demolition operations so we're working on that as, as, as we speak hopefully we will see a draft uh sometime probably in, in early calendar year 2022 uh, as far as our statement goes and I would also say the same day that we led uh, that we released that statement we also released a statement on on covid 19 yeah. the and I I'm just saying that so people are aware um, that both are on the ASSB website. But what did we say with, with heat? Well, first of all, ASSB has been on record for many, many years in favor of a, of a standard for heat stress. Uh, a lot of the states work on it. And so what we, we basically said is, hey, um, we've heard from a lot of members. Uh, there is a lot of interest in this. If there's going to be a heat stress standard, really, what are we talking about? Is one we want to keep it simple. And that's one thing I've heard from many, many stakeholders, both OSPROs and, and other stakeholders. And that is we want to keep the standard relatively simple to use in the workplace. And right now we're working on construction demolition. Now, OSHA is going further than that, and, and we understand. So, you know, we'll be looking for that standard when it comes out. We'll make sure that all our ASSP members are aware. And uh, so we did come out with a statement that said we're in favor of a general heat stress standard. We want it to be simple. And uh, we'll, when it actually comes out, then we'll review it again and give more technical comments. Because until we actually see it, we're not quite sure what's in it. And uh, then what will happen also is just so people listening are aware, when the, when we work on a statement, ASSP members are the ones that review that and advise us on it. So um, there'll be a lot of work between now and then. Yeah, I wanted to kind of ask you, actually, how often
0: uh, does the ASSP publish standards? Or is it sort of as needed or is there a regular
1: schedule? It's, it's on a regular schedule. And uh, so basically, like I said, we have somewhere between, you know, when it is 100 and 120 standards technical reports and projects. I throw projects into that number also. Um, by our procedures, a standard is supposed to be revised, reaffirmed, or withdrawn, as, as Lauren noted. And so we are, you know, we're, we're working on standards all the time. And uh, uh, we do have a, a team here at ASSP that works on that. I would say one thing, too, for people that are listening, if they want to get involved in standards, let us know. We are always looking for organizations to participate on our subgroups. So we have almost 2,000 ASSP members and stakeholders and affiliated groups that work on our standards and, and we're working on them all the time. So as part of accreditation, we have to maintain the standards uh, within that five to 10 year uh, window. Um, some of the committees, we try not to reaffirm standards, which is basically you take the standard and say, man, no big change, we'll reaffirm it. We'd like to see standards revised, mm-hmm. uh, but they are on a regular schedule and we would be happy to talk to any stakeholder that would like to get involved in that and get them involved. Excellent.
2: I will also say that um, when I first started ASSP, uh, I got a crystal ball. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it would be great if I if we had a crystal ball and we knew exactly when new standards were coming out. So as much as, you know, we definitely agree that it's got to be every five to ten years, there is so much that needs to happen in these different steps. And some of it is within ASSP's control and some of it's within the different committees as they review and discuss and kind of work through the technical aspects of the standard, that can take time. And then there's a the ballot period, and then there's a comment period, and then they might go through multiple ballots. So um, on the general high, high level, yes. That's how, I'll, you know, if every five to 10 years is when standards come out. But a lot of times people either on staff or some of the stakeholders will ask me, hey, Lauren, when does, when's the standard gonna come out? And it's really hard for me to say because there's just so many steps. Um, Like I said, some of it's, you know, different people's timeline, if you will. Um, But our job really is to, our ASSP job is really to make sure we are, you know, keeping everybody moving in the right direction to keep those standards revised and updated.
1: Well put, uh, Lauren. This is Tim once again. I would just tell you this, that when very rarely, very, very, very rarely are one of our standards approved without a lot of debate and discussion. Safety, right. they deal with a lot of engineering and technology and the workplace. These, these standards take a long time to write, there's, there's always a lot of views on it. The top standard I ever worked on had almost 200 pages of technical comments. So, Whoa. think about that one 200 pages <laughs> of technical comments. And the thing is, we work through every single one of them, um, so it takes time. And uh, Lauren's absolutely right. Uh, we also operate in a very transparent method. Um, standards just do not appear out of the, you know, out of out of anywhere at ASSP. We have to go through the proper notifications, um, and and you know, so there's public review and ballot and discussion right. and if some. I mean, literally, if we have a committee of 75 and 74 say yes, which very rarely happens, <laughs> but if one says no, we have to hear that no vote out and those no. That doesn't mean we have to change it, but they have to be heard. And ASSP has been very very tough on making sure that the process is transparent. And everybody gets to, to have their views and their bite at the apple. Hmm. Um, and I don't
2: think we talked about this piece of it, too, that um, it's not only a consensus standard, which is what um, Tim is talking about, but um, we also have to make sure that the committee is balanced in terms of interest category.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So you wouldn't want, you know, it to be out of sync because then, of course, you're not really having a consensus across labor, government, users, manufacturers, consultants, trainers, all those different kinds of things. So um, it's another piece that we manage at ASSP is to make sure that our committees are balanced. And that there are times I will admit that, oh my gosh, look at all these comments, right? But I also feel really proud of that because that means we've got stakeholders who really care. They're passionate and they want to get the best standard out there to keep people safe. So. It is a process for sure, um, but all these pieces to really make sure everyone's heard, it's balanced, um, and that consensus is reached.
0: Excellent. Well, Tim and Lauren, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This is a, a great kind of drill down into what went into these standards. Uh, very interesting stuff. And uh, keep up the good work. Thanks hey, a lot. thanks,
2: Jay. It's been great talking to you.
0: That wraps up episode eighty-eight of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope to join me next time. And happy Thanksgiving.